How's that? There we go. You can hear me now. I know you guys can hear me. I'm a loud American. You don't need help in the room. It's online that they need a little bit of help. They were like, does he have hand puppets or subtitles or anything like that? Well, God bless you guys. Welcome to 2022. It's good to see everyone here. It's lovely to see your faces, lovely to worship with you and praise the Lord together. Welcome to KC City Church. Lovely to have you guys. Well, I was cleaning out a blocked sewer line at the house of a beloved family member two days ago, and yesterday I went back to clean up the mess because it backed up into the house. And it, as I was working and laboring uh, there, I was... I was reflecting on 2020 and 2021. I mean, who, who would have known that 2020 was going to turn out the way that it was? I remember there were a lot of people in 2019 saying 2020 is going to be the year where we see. But what are we going to see? Well, I think in 2020, we learned something about ourselves we began to. I think we began to learn how much we were reliant on ourselves. And I believe God began to shake that. And I think that, that was something that God allowed and intentionally used to shake some rotten foundations in our lives. Because, see, God only wants good for us, and he doesn't want us to be living out of a lie. He doesn't want any part of our life to just be a facade. He wants us to be true and authentic so that we can reflect him properly to the world around us. And 2021 was similar. I, I think we started to learn to actually trust our relationship with God, to trust in it. This year, our theme for Casey City Church is abide, to abide in his presence and to live out of that abiding. That's what this year is for us. I'm excited about 2022. I'm actually quite fired up about it. Because you know what? There's a lot of dross that's been skimmed off the top over the last two years. There's a lot of stuff that was not so real that's been taken away, leaving room for the authentic, leaving room for the real deal. You know, one of the things that we're looking at as we look at 2022 is the future. I want to talk to you about your future. You've got a secret future. Now, we all want to know the future. I mean, it, if, if you could know what tomorrow was going to be, wouldn't you want to know? So you'd probably be like, what are the lottery numbers on Monday? I, I, am I right? You'd want to know. Or what horse? If you're a betting person and you're into the horses and that's your thing, you'd want to know what horse was going to be at the post first, right? Wouldn't you? Why would you want that? Because you'd want to be able to get as much money as you could so that you could then rely on yourself. So that you could begin to build something for your future. At least that's what you think that you would do. So I want to talk to you today about your secret future. And I really want to focus in on the blessing of not knowing. God has us on a need-to-know basis. When we need to know, he sees to it that we can know. He makes it available to us. We've got to seek him first. But when we seek him, we surely find him. We surely find him. We often quote from Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm sure most of you could begin mumbling this along with me. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. But we forget about in what context was God saying this in Jeremiah 29 to the nation of Israel. 
If I go back just one verse, verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. They were getting ready to go into exile for 70 years, one year for every year that they did not give the land a Sabbath rest. One year for every year. God kept track of all of them and sent them into captivity so that the land could get its Sabbath rests. Go study that out in Scripture. That's what that is. They're getting ready to go into captivity, to be taken as slaves, as property of another nation, to be taken away. And then you get to verse 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God will allow us to go into difficult situations that you and I would not choose. And what's he going to do in those times? Well, he's going to prove himself to be faithful and to be true. Verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. This is a loving God. This is our loving Heavenly Father, our Lord God, taking them into captivity, sticking to his word, sticking to his promises. Now, we like knowing the future, don't we? I bet you this is not a future that they would have picked. But you know that, that passage of Scripture right there is what the prophet Daniel, if you go read the book of Daniel, it's what the prophet Daniel discovered toward the end of that 70-year period, and it caused him to get down on his knees before God. It caused him to get serious about his relationship with God. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego willing to go into that fiery furnace because they knew the God that they served. They discovered him in this time of exile, in this time of great trial. And they discovered him because of prophecy, because what God, who is true to his word, had said in his word there in Jeremiah. Remarkable. When we look at the word of God today, you and I, with everything that we're facing, everything that we're going through, does it not speak to us of God's faithfulness? Does it not speak to us of his, of his goodness, of his kindness, of his mercy? Does it not speak to us that he knows everything I cannot tell you anything that's going to happen in 70 years from now. Not one thing. And if you're honest, you can't either. None of us can. Nobody. And yet God knew all of this, all of this, and spoke it in advance so that they knew enough. God is happy for us to know enough. Know enough for us to do what? To believe, to act in faith. God gives us enough information for us to live by faith. Hallelujah. I want to read to you uh, from Acts uh, chapter 16. I'm going to read most of this. I'm not going to read anything if I don't put my glasses on. So talk about 2020. So I'm going to read to you Acts 16. I want you to encourage you to go and read it for yourself. I want you to just see how it is that God guides Paul, 
and the little group that he's on a mission trip with, how do they guide them? Because, see, they're walking by faith. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. They're walking it out by faith. What does that mean? Well, they're seeking God's will for them on a moment-by-moment basis. They're not quite sure of exactly where they're going, but God is leading them, yes? In John 15, 16, and 17, we see that the Comforter will come and guide you and lead you into all knowledge. That's good news for you and I. Very good news. The Holy Spirit guiding and leading us into all knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, what to do next. What to do in a given moment. The answer to the question of how God comes via the Holy Spirit, via the Word of God. God can lead you in his word by the Holy Spirit. He can also lead you in dreams and visions. If we seek him, we will surely find him, yes? And we will find him to be faithful. So I want to read to you Acts 16. Just, just bear with me. I'm going to read most of it. Verse 1, Paul came also to Derba and Lystra, uh, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. So that's where Paul starts out. Skipping down to verse 6, it says, They passed through Phrygian and Galatian, the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Catch that. They wanted to go to Asia, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go to Asia. Why? Isn't the gospel meant to go out everywhere? Isn't Asia a good option? And yet they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. You know what? To hear God's no, or hear God's not now, you got to be listening. You got to have ears to hear. Amen? That happens in that secret place of abiding before the Lord, seeking his will. And after they came to Mycenae, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Well, can't go to Asia? Well, let's go to Bithynia. Nope, answer's no. Nope, you can't go to Bithynia. And passing by Mycenae, they came to Troas, And here in verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. That's the extent of the vision that he got in the night. A Macedonian, visibly a Macedonian by dress, by color, by everything, even by accent. Come, come over and help us. And that's all he got. Well, don't you know that's enough? Don't you know that's enough? I mean, if you had a vision in the middle of the night, God said, you can't go to Druin, you can't go to Warrigal, you can't go to the western suburbs. I want you to go to Fountain Gate. You saw somebody standing under the big Fountain Gate sign and says, come and help me, and that's all that you got. What would you do? Well, if you've been seeking the Lord, if you've been seeking his will for you, and you've been seeking his guidance, you would go to Fountain Gate and look for that dude, wouldn't you? Well, you should. If you're walking by faith, you would. And when he had seen the vision immediately, uh, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And they, they took off. They went. And it was smooth sailing. They basically went straight there. Don't you know when you're in God's will, he gets you to where he wants you to be. You're going to arrive on time. 
by his schedule. You're going to arrive on time. And there, there we see the first convert. We see Lydia. The first person converted in Europe was Lydia. And Lydia just got radically saved. But even there, like they got to Macedonia, they got there. And in Lystra, they're there. And they're like, well, where do we go now? And it just simply occurred to them. The idea came to their mind. Well, let's go down by the river. There's probably a place of prayer there. Let's just go where we think there will be people gathered together seeking God. And that's where they found Lydia. And God opened her heart is what it said. God opened her heart to what they were saying. Lydia was meant to be saved. This whole thing could have all just been about Lydia, but it was about so much more. In verse 16, this is where the more comes in. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her master's much profit by fortune-telling, Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are, are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. Paul got really annoyed with this demonic influence, this demonic interruption, interference in what they were doing. They were seeking God's will, and you've got this heckler walking along behind you. And Paul turned around and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her at that very moment. Well, the guys who owned this girl, their business model just collapsed in an instant. God will change economies. He will change governments. He'll do anything. You watch in this passage, this leading leads to the saving of Lydia, who was a woman of influence. She was a woman of influence. God affecting not only just Lydia and her household and everyone who knew Lydia, but the entire economy. You talk about influence. God undermining the economy that depends on Lucifer and upon Satan and upon the demons. God undermining that, building Lydia, lifting her up, and bringing down those things that are rotten, that are evil, tearing it down. This is God. This is God. Amen? Amen? Are these not the things we want in our city? Are these not the things we desire? When we seek God with all of our heart, will he not be found by us? Oh, he will. Oh, he will. Hallelujah. And these men, they went to the leaders of the city. They went to the local government, and they stirred up trouble against Paul and Silas. They got thrown into prison. They got a good beating for, their, for the difficulty that they'd caused these guys, and they were thrown into prison. And uh, verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Cyrus were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Oh, hallelujah. To the world, it looks like you just got shamed and thrown into prison, but God's just saying, just wait, just wait, just wait. Come on, just sing and praise me. Just wait and watch. Just wait and watch what I'm about to do. And suddenly there came an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and every chain was unfastened. And when the jailer awoke and saw the, the prison doors were open, he drew his sword to kill himself. This guy thought they were all gone, but they had all stayed. They had all stayed and waited to see what was going to happen. 
Don't you know that Paul and Silas singing and then an earthquake and everybody being set loose? If you were a prisoner, would you run away? No, I'd be like, I want to see what's going to happen next. Something about these two dudes that copped that flogging and just got thrown in prison. I want to see what they do next. It says that Paul and Silas said, don't, Paul said, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And from that moment, the jailer, the one responsible for imprisoning people, the one responsible for dishing out the beatings, what did he do? He asked the right question. When God leads us somewhere, he's always going to provoke certain people to ask the right question. For Lydia, it was a whisper to her heart. She was already seeking God. But to the blind, to those who've turned a deaf ear, to those who think they know the truth, well, God will reach them in another way. But in the end result, he asked the right question. It's about the right question. Sir, what must I do to be saved? And he got saved. Hallelujah. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and his whole household. I could read on. They stayed. They were on a mission from God. They could literally say it. Blues Brothers is a pretty famous movie, a funny movie. If you've ever seen the Blues Brothers um, you know, there's a famous line in there, you know, what are you here for? We're on a mission from God. Well, these guys actually were on a mission from God. But would, would they have chosen that? If God had said, I want to reveal to you every detail of what's going to happen over the next month. I want to reveal all of it to you. Well, what would happen? You would see the beating. You would see being thrown in prison. Yeah, you'd see the foundations being shaken and people being saved, but wouldn't you be shaken yourself? I don't want a beating. I don't want my back opened up with a cane. I don't want to have to heal from these kinds of wounds. I don't want to have to potentially be permanently disfigured. There's something within us that puts our foot on the brake when we know that that kind of stuff is coming. I, the Lord, before I got into full-time ministry, the Lord spoke to me and said, I want you in full-time ministry. Well, I was out painting houses. Well, praise the Lord. I knew for a fact God wanted me in full-time ministry. And I'm out there going, God, I don't know how to get there from here. I haven't got a clue of how I get there from here. We're working from payday to payday. How do I get there from here? And I just kept thanking him. I got to a point where I just thanked him. God, I thank you. I thank you. I knew enough to praise God and to give God praise and to seek his will. Amen? Your will be done, not my own. And then I stepped off a deck. I got to tell you, if I'd seen the picture of me stepping off a deck and snapping my right arm, I probably would have put my foot on the brake. It's not what you would choose. God's ways are higher than our ways. Yeah, we want to know the future, but I'm telling you, if you knew the future, you would have no future. We live in a fallen world. The nature of our flesh, our stinking thinking, even the things that we know to do that are right, you know what? We don't do them. Come on. Am I preaching to myself? Is this just Kev? You're like, Kev doesn't do what he knows he's supposed to do. Am I alone up here? No. 
I know for a fact I'm not. You don't even need to confirm that. Your secret is safe with me, okay? But we all know that if we knew the future, we'd have no future because we'd start interfering with it. And the way that God guides us and leads us would be interrupted. It's his will, not our will. Just to prove my point, in 1988, I graduated high school. I was not a believer in Christ then. I was still a heathen. I was a heathen about to become even more of a heathen. I had a few more years before I was going to come to faith in Christ. But there was a book out in 1988, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Anybody remember that? 88 Reasons Why Jesus. It was a bestseller. This guy made lots of money. Why did he make lots of money? Because everybody wants to know the future. Even though Scripture says clearly that when Jesus will return is on God's appointment calendar, our Heavenly Father's appointment calendar, even Jesus doesn't know. That's not for us to know. Even though it says that, people went out and bought this book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. I don't even know what the 88 reasons are, but he came up with 88 of them. People bought it, and then people turned around having believed it, and they went out and ran up their credit cards. They went out and emptied out their savings account. They went out and liquidated everything. Many of them just lived it up. Some of them took that money and poured it into church. I believe they could get a return on that. Amen? Even though they were deceived, they could get a return on that. But for those who just jacked up their credit cards, went and lived the high life, whoop it up, hallelujah, Jesus is coming back this year. It's all going to be done and dusted, and we're going to be out of here. Our problem's over with. That's what we do when we think we know the future, when we know too much. No, God's got us on a need-to-know basis. But you know what? We have a tendency in not knowing to not rest in God's presence, to not abide in his presence, to not really seek his will, to not spend that time in the secret place, for God to reveal to us the things that he would have us know. Now, we have a tendency to gripe. You know what? As I look back over 2020 and 2021, I have to admit that in my head and in my heart, as I was cleaning out that septic tank, as I was cleaning that thing out, I was seven hours, I, you know, to quote Kenny, the plumber, you know, the, from the movie Kenny, you know, there's a smell in there that's going to outlast religion. You know it won't. But the truth is that it was an ungodly smell. It was an ungodly smell, and I had six hours of it. I, I won't tell you what I dealt with. And then, I went, and then I went back yesterday and cleaned up what was in the house. And that was two days of it. If I use that as an analogy of 2020 and 2021, I had little gripes that had accumulated in my head and in my heart. I've had to repent of those. Gripes against others, gripes against God. It's just little things, but you know what? They add up. Five cents here, 10 cents there, 20 cents there. Before you know it, you got a buck. Before you know, you, you know it, you got a hundred. It adds up and it accumulates. We see in Exodus 17 and Numbers 20, we see a place where God performed one of the greatest miracles through Moses. And one of those miracles was performed when Moses 
was at his most disobedient. As a matter of fact, Moses sinned so bad that he was denied access to the promised land. He did not get to go in as a result of it. And yet God proved himself to be faithful in both of these tests that the nation of Israel faced. Go to Exodus 17 when you get home tonight and Numbers 20 and read these two. Exodus 17 came first. That was the first generation that came out of Egypt. They got out of Egypt, but Egypt did not get out of them. They were constantly wanting to go back to what was, constantly wanting to go back and eat the pomegranates and and all of the things that they had there. Never mind that they took a beating and that they were in slavery. They had everything that they could want, at least they thought that they could want there. And God had led them into the wilderness of Zin, Z-I-N. We get the word sin from there. Into the wilderness of sin. Don't you know that's where we're tested? (laughs) It's in a place called sin. A dry place, no water. They all thought they were going to die of thirst. And God told Moses, I want you to go and I want you to take your rod and I want you to strike the rock. And it was this particular word for rock was a jagged rock, a rough rock. This rock in New Testament, what what it reveals to us is that rock represents Jesus Christ on the cross, marred and beaten for our sins in a wilderness of sin. Here in this world with us, a wilderness of sin. And once struck living water flowed for that first generation there in Exodus 17. You would have thought that that generation would have told the next generation, look, when you run into this test, we failed, but you can pass it. You would have thought that by the time Numbers 20 came around, 40 years later, God's leading them back out into the wilderness of Zin. They would have gone, this is the wilderness of Zin, isn't it? I don't know. Check your GPS. Yeah, it says Zin. You know, and, and here we are, a population, oh man, it's, it's us. It's every last one of us. You would think they would have passed this test with flying colors. Out there, no water. You think they would have all joined in a chorus and gone, God will provide water. He did it before and he can do it again. You would have thought, wouldn't you? But no, you know what? Sin just gets passed from generation to generation to generation. Kids don't have to be taught how to sin. You could take a kid with a cookie jar and they're, they're trying to sneak and get a cookie and you can tell them, no, you can't have that until after dinner. And then you can turn your back, and that little kid will go in there and open that cookie jar and take a cookie. Will they not? They will. They don't have to be taught how to sin. Before they can even speak, they'll do that. That such is the nature of humanity. You know, in Numbers 20, that second generation didn't have to be taught how to sin. They knew how to sin. It was already within their genes. It was already within their flesh. In Numbers 20... God said to Moses to take uh, the rod and to go this time to a smooth rock. The word for the rock here in Numbers 20 is a smooth rock. It's not this rough, jagged rock on a cross. Christ only had to be crucified one time. No, a smooth rock, hallelujah. The, The resurrected Redeemer, hallelujah. Jesus resurrected in all of his glory, hallelujah. And he said, take your rod and go and speak the rock. You and I don't need the blood of lambs and goats to wash away our sin. We don't need the blood of Jesus once again to be shed for us. It was shed once for all time, and now we can go and speak to him. Hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. What a blessing. And 20, that wilderness of Zin. But Moses was ticked off. Don't you know after 40 years to hear the same complaining, the griping and complaining coming out of the second generation must have just flipped a switch in his head. And he went there, even though God told him, take the rod and speak to the rock. He went there and he struck the rock twice. You would have thought God would have said no water this time. But God in his mercy and his kindness let the water flow. Amen. He let the water flow. But Moses was denied access to the promised land. That mantle of leadership was passed to Joshua, to the next generation. You know, there's reasons that we're on a need-to-know basis. Honestly, if God told you that you're going to be led out to a place where there's no water and you're going to be with a whole bunch of people and animals and you're just going to be out there in this place called sin... You could call it Death Valley, whatever you wanted to call it. You would put your foot on the brake most likely. You might not hit the brake, but you'd put your foot on the brake. You'd have second thoughts about it. Sometimes the places God needs to lead us, places that he's going to lead us to for our own good, he leads us to them and gives us just enough information for us to do what? To trust him. God wants us to trust him. The just shall live by faith. You can't live by faith without trusting God. Not possible. As we look at 2022, this is the time where we get to shake off the dust from the wilderness of Zen. We get to shake it off. We get to speak to the rock and watch living water flow. We get to discover God's perfect will for our lives today. Hallelujah. 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 So what's important for us to know? When we talk about our secret future and the blessing of not knowing, what is important for us to know? Is it more important for us to know what's going to happen tomorrow? Or is it more important for us to know eternal truth? Because you see, what you know about tomorrow, if I told you everything that was going to happen tomorrow, that knowledge and the benefit of it would expire at the end of tomorrow, would it not? Be over with. And then you would need to know what? What's going to happen the next day and the next day? God says, I want you to focus here. Your life is between you and me, between there and me. I want you to focus right here on the finish line. I want you to focus and I want you to trust me. Peter didn't get out of a boat and walk on water. He didn't do that. Peter was looking at Jesus. And he said, Jesus, if that's you... Ask me to come. And Peter stepped out of the boat on one word, come. Paul and his whole team went to Lystra, to Macedonia, on one vision, one picture. God will give you just enough for you to trust him. He'll give you just enough for you to step out by faith. Because when you do that, your faith grows. Yeah, Peter started to pay attention to the wind and the waves, and he started to sink a little bit. But Jesus didn't let him drown. Jesus didn't let him drown. God didn't leave a whole second generation out there in the wilderness of sin to die of thirst because of the sin of Moses. He didn't. He provided water. God is merciful and kind. Oh, hallelujah. He's never going to let you down. 
He's so trustworthy. In the year ahead, you can trust him at every moment. You can trust him every time you take a breath. Hallelujah. You can trust him. He is faithful, and you can trust him. Hallelujah. So if your heart is a little bit like mine as you're entering this year, this year ahead of us, and is a little bit cluttered with complaints, I want to give you Isaiah chapter 40, verses 27 to 31. God could ask this question, and I believe does, of our generation. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He knows it all. It should be enough for us to know the one who knows it all. You don't need to know it all. You need to know the one who knows it all. Abiding in his presence is going to be more critical this year than ever before, but critical because God's got a timeline. And for many of us, we've got some milestones that you have no idea you're going to hit this year, and you might just miss them. You might just blow the opportunity if you're not abiding in his presence. If, you, if you're not staying close to the one who knows everything, you might just miss it. You might just miss it. I believe there are opportunities to be had this year by faith, and there are opportunities to be missed by fear. There are opportunities to be had by faith, and there are opportunities to be missed by fear. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's the only fear you and I should have. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is that fear of the Lord? It's, it's to love what he loves and to hate what he hates. To understand his will so well that it becomes your own. Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. If that's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. It's good enough for us, amen? We can do this by faith. It goes on to say, in verse 29 of Isaiah 40, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That is what awaits us this year. To soar in the middle of adversity. To run in the middle of resistance. Hallelujah. And to run well. We can run and run well. If you need to repent of griping and complaining in your heart, do so. You know, the waters, the place where the water flowed out of, that place was called Meribah. Reb is in the middle of that word, Meribah. Reb means gripe and complain. And if we put up a city limits sign right there, it would say, Meribah, gripe and complain, population zero. There's no one there anymore. Because God in his grace and his mercy, he moved them on into the promised land. 
Amen? You know, you can move on. We can go and speak to the rock, the rock of our salvation, and living waters can flow. Amen? He, he wants to wash away your sins, to forgive you of any little thing. I would like to encourage you. We're just going to take a moment. just want to bow our heads and our hearts. And I just want you just to, just to open up your heart. Allow God to search your heart. Only he knows your heart. You don't know your heart as well as you think you do. Only he knows it. And anything he would reveal to you that you need to repent of as we move on into this year, I want to encourage you to do that. Let's just take a moment. I'm not going to pray a prayer or lead you in a prayer. You just, you repent of that. You just repent of it. To repent is to turn. Just turn from it. He's faithful and just to forgive you. thank you. We rejoice this morning that we can come to you and ask you to forgive us of our sins and that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. We thank you that your blood was shed to wash away our sins. We thank you that you were dead and buried and you've been raised back to life, the firstborn amongst many brethren, many brothers and sisters. We stand here before you today and we give you thanks. We give you praise. We thank you. Hallelujah. We ask that when it's all said and done, when we've heard the well done, good and faithful servant, that we would look back at this time and at the year that now lies ahead of us, the distance between here and there, the time between now and when we stand before you face to face, that we would look back and we would find that we were able to be faithful, hallelujah. That we were able to give you our whole lives and nothing less. We thank you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. I want to leave you with three things. Three things for you and I to do this year. Three things that we can be faithful to. Three things that you can make your future every day. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul tells Timothy, the faithful things that you have learned from me now go and teach to faithful men and women. What you know about God, go and tell others. Go and teach it line by line to others. Pull out your Bible and show them. Show them. And for some, just like Lydia, they're already waiting. They're waiting on you. <laughs> They're waiting on you to respond to God, to be led by the Holy Spirit, to be in front of them, and then God is going to open up their heart as they share. The second thing you need to do is you need to pray 
for others. We need to pray for one another. My prayer for you, you want to know what I'm praying in my secret place this year? It's that you and I would be found mature and complete in the will of God. That we would be found mature and complete in the will of God. That immaturity would be gone. That we would be meat-eating, not milk-drinking Christians. You feast on the meat of God's Word. And you walk by faith and not by sight. You can find in Colossians chapter 4, verse 12, Paul praises Epaphras because that's what Epaphras, a faithful brother, prayed for time and time and time and time again. And the third thing that you can do is focus on the finish. Focus on the finish. In Matthew 25, 23, there is a well done, good and faithful servant. Let us be found faithful doing the goodwill of God. Amen? Let us be found faithful doing the goodwill of God. There is a well and done, good, well done, good and faithful servant waiting for us. And in Revelation chapter, well, three places in Revelation, but in chapter 21, I'll read this to you. And then he said to me, this is Jesus talking to John, it is done. This is what happens. This is the finish line. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. Eternal life without cost. What was represented in the wilderness of Zin, the water that flowed from that rock, first the jagged rock representing the cross, the second smooth rock representing the resurrected Christ, the one in whom we trust and we give our lives to, provides us eternal water, living water. Hallelujah. So when this unknown future has finally become our past, let us be found faithful to what we've been called to do. Hallelujah. The secret future is where we discover, where we discover the eternal truth about God, that he's good, that he's good, that he's faithful. I'll close with what Stephen shared in Psalm 91, but verses 14 to 16. Because he has loved me, you could say because I have loved him, Therefore, he will deliver me. I can cast my cares upon him. He will set me securely on high because I know his name. I can call upon him and he'll answer me. He'll be with me in trouble. He'll rescue me and honor me with long life. Will he satisfy me and let me see his salvation? Hallelujah. Hallelujah.